uh, which you may have picked up in the beginning as the guy you know, blew a puff of smoke out. It's, it's the word vapor. It's the word smoke. Uh, it's, 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 it's what uh, some translations call meaninglessness and other ones call vanity. Uh, and the point really is to show us that so much of what we want and pursue in life, it's, it's just unattainable often. Or when we get there, it doesn't have any substance. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill. We chase this career. We chase this relationship. We chase money. We, all the things that life has to offer. And when we get there, we find ourselves that it's meaningless. It's vapor. It's smoke. It's hevel, as the original language says. Um, and so, yeah, this book is pretty pessimistic. Last week was an optimistic book. It was the glass half full book. It, you know, it, it's the book where it's like, no, there's enough water to go around for me and you. This week it's the pessimistic book. It's like we're all going to die. It's uh, life sucks, um, and we'll make sense of it in a moment. I am, um, I, like I said, I borrowed three excellent points from Toby, and why his sermon really caught me was the the the, the second half of the sermon, the last three points, there's six of them. He alliterate, and you know I'm a sucker for alliteration. So we'll look at that in a moment. These don't alliterate at all, so you can work on those ones. But uh, the three points, if you want to write them down quickly, we'll look at one at a time, uh, is good things don't last. The second point of this book is to show you that bad things don't stop. And the third reason, uh, or third lesson, is everything or everybody dies. So uh, number one, good things don't last. I mean, the, the opening phrase here, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, everything's heavy, smoke, vapor, um, gives you a clue as to the, the point this book is trying to make. Um, I've already said we, we pursue things in life, um, you know, experiences that we have, amazing memories that we make, and we need a photo album to, to remind us of what it's like. Even so, we go, did I wear that? Did I, you know, it's like it, it just the moment doesn't stay. The experiences that we go through, the, the things that we build. I, uh, I built this amazing table for our one porch. It was custom made so that we could eat it with our parents who visited us from South Africa a few years ago. And, and it was a thing of beauty. And then it made its way into my house and my kitchen table. Many of you ate around this homemade table that I built with scrap wood after we built the waypoint. Because um, Mike wanted to throw it away and I said, no, it's not meaningless. I'm going to use it. And so... And right now it's in my garage because it's falling apart, you know, like two or three seasons. Uh, I'm going to revive it, buddy. Watch it. You will find it in the bean and basket in a few weeks from now, just so you know. Anyway, uh, you know, the things, that we, the things that we do, things that we build, they don't last forever, especially in our day. I mean, they don't make TVs like they used to. These, oh, these, these are TVs that the drop zone is using. I mean, they made that, what, 15 years ago, that TV's still going. But then the TVs we bought for the Waypoint, one broke last week. Because the thing weighs four grand. It's like nothing in our day lasts. Like anything that's made 50 or 20 years ago, like it's still got steel in it and seems to be lasting longer. But for us, we know that in this day that we live in, I mean, things are, things are not built to last, you know. You know how many toilets there are on the side of the road? <laughs> I don't know why. What is it up with Canada and people throwing their toilets out, you know? But it's not just toilets and appliances, because nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. And, and then, of course, your fame and your renown. As hard as we try to be influencers on TikTok and Instagram and whatever it is, and you think that the number of followers you have is a clue as to your name being a lasting one, probably, no one's probably going to write a biography on your life. I, I'm pretty sure that most people in this room, I mean, you, some of you still have a chance. 
But, uh, you know, and you could probably write an autobiography. It, it might not sell. I mean, you could, you could write it yourself, you know, especially if you're a little older. The fact is, is even your name, uh, it's not going to last. That's how, that's how this first chapter of this book uh, talks, you know, verse 11 in chapter 1 says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. It's, it's, it's the first thing that this book is teaching us. Good things don't last. The second thing it teach us, teaches us is that bad things don't stop. I mean, we all know that just making ends meet is in itself not always easy and enjoyable. I mean, we're in a time right now where inflation is jumping up and people are, you know, I mean, gas prices. I filled up, my, no jokes, I filled up my car with fuel from my jerry can that I used for lawnmower. Because the red light is on and I didn't have time to go to the... And I don't really want to go because it's $2.20 a liter. And, I, and I'm like, I've got some gas at home. And I'm standing outside filling up my car with my lawnmower gas. Because life is hard. Work, working, it's, it's like, you know, it, it requires the sweat of your brow and fighting with the soil and the thorns. This is, this is part of the fall of man. Bad things don't stop. Even when you think about injustices. I mean, who would have thought that there would be a war in the world happening right now? How far beyond, you know, we thought we'd, we'd learned our lessons. And then you look at the injustices and the atrocities that's com being committed in the war in Ukraine. Bad things just don't seem to stop. And that's just, obviously, that's on the news. There's so much that has happened that doesn't make it to the headlines. Injustices that take place. They don't stop. Even pleasurable things, things that we enjoy, we, we grow bored with. They, it, those good things become bad things eventually. They stop satisfying us. Like, you know, the last point on this is, is, is what Ecclesiastes you know, talks about, this, the cyclical nature of life, that actually nothing is new. That even though we are surprised at some of these injustices, there's a sense that they've happened before and they likely will happen again. You know, there's just no end to this cycle. Uh, um, nothing is new in, in, in one sense. It, this, often, it's, this is how the picture is painted in Ecclesiastes. And you might think, oh, of course, there's a lot of new things. I mean, we landed on the moon, you know, and the, uh, uh, that, that didn't happen when the author wrote this. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But in exploration, for example, trying to, like, push the frontiers, that's the same thing, you know. They used to do it in ships, and now we do it in spaceships, you know. They do it in ocean ships, and I don't know, is it a, a seafaring ships? Is a better word, ships, right? It's like when I came here and I said ice hockey, and everybody laughed at me. I'm like, there is another kind of hockey. You do know that, hey. But everyone says, it's just hockey. So that's what I thought. It's just ships and spaceships. Like, ships equal water. I just want to make sure I'm getting it right here. You know? Harsh crowd. Yo, tough crowd. And then thirdly, this is the, this is the, this is the saddest one. Everybody dies. And uh, the author here, or the co-authors, you know, the preacher and the critic, they tell us that good things that don't last and the bad things that don't stop, these are all just bubbles. And the sharp needle that pops this bubble is death. It's like death is just a certainty. You know, Solomon, who wrote this book, or who, who fed into some of the wisdom that's in here, many believe, he was, as I said last week, one of the wisest out there. And... Uh, and he writes in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, he says this. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. 
logical conclusion. The wise person has his eyes on his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. He's referring to death. And he talks about that even in itself being heavily smoke. And later on in chapter 3, he even you know, throws in animals. Of course, they also see the same fate. When, and then that sense is saying, we're just like the animals. You know, everybody dies. What is the point? Blaise Pascal, he's, he, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he wrote and he said that we, we haven't found the cure for death you know, and sadness and sickness ultimately. Actually, we don't really know how to fix that problem. Um, so we actually distract ourselves. We, we don't think about it in order to stay happy. But as the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us, that no distraction actually results in the happiness that we're looking for, that we pursue in the denial of death. Thinking, oh, it will happen to them, it won't happen to me. It's just not, it's, you can't hold on to it. It's smoke, it's vapor, it's heaven. And Ecclesiastes teaches us that to learn how to truly live is to live our life in preparation of death. Is to not think that that, that moment won't come for you. Or that it's still far away. Ecclesiastes is about the surprises of life, the curveballs that life throws at us. And death is certainly one of those. Not everybody has the luxury of knowing when it's going to happen. So what on earth is this book doing in the Bible? Well, first of all, I think it's so great that this book is in the Bible. Because as I mentioned some of these things, have you not felt like that before yourself? I mean, as I mentioned, aren't you glad that there's a book like that in the scriptures that it can actually empathize and sympathize with the big questions you may have, the unanswered questions that you may have, the struggles that you face in life? I think it's a real gift to have a book here that also somehow resonates with the confusion that we often find ourselves in because of how life is turning out. But there are three alliterated lessons. Well done, Toads. They all begin with a J. Because Jesus' name begins with a J. And so it's a very scriptural, alliterated three points. Very biblical way of coming here. Okay, that, that's, that's just a joke. All right, so the first J, they're all listed over there, is that this book is a jolt of reality. Okay? Even as you maybe listened here to some of that pessimism that came out of my mouth, it's almost like uncomfortable. It's like it wakes and it shakes you a little bit. Hey, the jolt of reality. And, you know, whether you are a Christ follower or not, uh, whether you consider yourself to be a Christian or someone that's exploring Christianity, faith, and what, what church life is like, I think you would be able to resonate. You'd go, yeah, I, 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 I have experienced some of that meaninglessness, that like, emptiness that I find in life. And so, um, you know, for Christians, this is a great book that gives us permission to actually just sometimes ask the question why and be okay with often no answer as well. It's okay just say, why? I don't get it. And, and, and you have permission to, to, to say, uh, to explain why. What is going on here? There's a place for your doubt in the scriptures and in your life now. You can ask God this question. God, the God of the universe. What on earth is happening? <laughs> what on earth? Yeah, where I am. What on earth is happening in my life? And uh, if you're not a Christ follower, it is an invitation for you, because this book doesn't just end. You'll see in a moment, um, as we wrap this up, this, this book doesn't just uh, uh, leave the questions kind of out there. But actually, it does bring us to a conclusion. 
But without the conclusion that this book is, is, um, is declaring, which is that without God, yes, there is real pointlessness. There's real vapor, meaninglessness. That's, that's where we will get to. So, you know, I'm spoiler alert. I'm telling you that actually with God, you can actually make sense of the unanswered questions. But, you know, I'm, I'm a 90s kid. Um, grew up in the grunge era. You can ask my wife uh, about what I was like when we met. Uh, how often I washed my hair or did not wash my hair. How, lo how long it was. I drew on all my clothes, you know. Uh, you know, I listened to, of course, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, Paul Jam. Uh, Radiohead, Bush, all these guys. One of the um, one of the the obvious things, you know, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, the things if you, if you listen to that music, you realize that we we were excellent at being sad. The '90s, man, uh, like we could lament, okay. And there's still something I don't know. I just love it when a '90s song is on. I just I love getting. Ask my wife. I'm like, I just want to sing me a love for a moment. I just want to. Be, I just want to be a little depressed. Because this is like, it's like, child, it's like a childhood memory being depressed. It's wonderful. It's like, oh, so it's like, it's like I, just, I love it. Um, but what, it's one of the characteristics of, of hopelessness is that, that, that that's all those songs just had no real like answer to the brokenness that they wrote about, to the pain that they felt in society and as individuals. And so we could resonate with it, but it didn't help us along really, you know? It didn't, didn't, didn't didn't give an answer, solution. And that is the case. Life without God is in fact meaningless. Because what ultimate reason do you have to do good or to do justice or to pursue happiness? If, they, if, if, if God isn't real, what is the point? What is the point of pursuing those things? If eternity and a sovereign, sovereign judge is not part of the story, if you're not going to actually give account for the decisions you make and how you roll with the curveballs that life throws you, what is the point of even considering what to do with it? There is no point to it. Even in terms of injustice. Now, I just finished this book. To my shame, I mean, this is uh, called Long Walk to Freedom. This is an autobiography. So he, he wrote it when he was alive. Um, this is uh, president of South Africa, at least from 1994, for about eight years from then onwards. Um, I, I, I lived through the, the apartheid changing. I was a teenager, and, um, and so I know much of the history just because I lived in the country, but I actually had never read it, and I just finished it this weekend. And, you know, it's sad, the decades and decades of injustice that so many people in my country experienced. That. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, deals actually with, like, what's the point of injustice? You know, that, that actually... It, that, that the cycle of injustice doesn't get stopped often, you know, that there isn't someone who advocates for those that are being oppressed. Like, um, but the book of Ecclesiastes encourages us not to turn a blind eye to it, but to actually see it and to be moved. Because, you know, we can't always fix everything, okay? Like, th there's a jolt to, to, to our reality when we see the injustice, but we, the answer is not to turn away from it so we can carry on being happy. Or to, you know, turn our eyes away from death so we could carry on being happy. But actually, to, to, to look at injustice. And, and although you can't always fix everything, you can feel. You can feel the pain. And to somehow that can move you. And I, and I think that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to do as well. He's trying to make you see how wrong it is sometimes that the bad people win. That you can't just turn a blind eye to it. And you, you have to feel it and enter and have compassion and empathy. So anyway, that's that jolt. 
that Ecclesiastes does to us. But the second thing it does is it encourages you to have joy as well. To enjoy the moment. 26 times there's this phrase in this book, under the sun. Life under the sun. What happens under the sun? And it's a great phrase because under the sun, is, is, it's like a marker in time. It's like right now, we're still under the sun. It's, the sun will set at 8.53, at 6.44. So this, the sun is still out. So it's like a marker in time. Um, and, it, and it speaks of the now. Enjoy this moment now. You will see in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 9. I mean, chapter 9 is, is a classic passage. Let me read that for you. Just uh, 9 verse 7. It says this. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. By the way, other translations will, will basically tell you that's like Bible code for, you know, put cologne or deodorant on. It's okay to dress nicely, nice, you know, make yourself smell nice. Go out for dinner. Like, enjoy the moments. Understand that all the good that you might experience, even the lessons you learn because of the bad that might be in your life, these are gifts from God and you need to enjoy them. You're under the sun. Look at what the time is of the day and what is being that moment. Don't, don't live with regrets in the past haunting you. Don't think about what could happen in the future and miss what is right in front of you. Especially if you're a mom and a dad with children. Enjoy the moment. As Christians, we can be grateful because we actually realize that, that we don't have any rights. We understand how lost and how sinful we were and we needed a Savior. And so any good thing that we may experience, we know it's from the hand of God. It's a gift of grace. And because we know that, we ourselves should be the people who enjoy the moment the most. Because we know that's a gift. No one, you don't have to have that moment. You didn't earn it. It's God's goodness to you. We see the value of those things. So yeah, enjoying the moment. I'm going to move on. I think we all, all know we can have a little more of that, right? And then the last one, the last J, is it tells us about judgment. This is how the book ends, you know, all this pessimism. But then in the end, the, the, the teacher summarizes the words of the critic. And uh, this is what, what he writes. Chapter 12, verse 13 to 14 says, The end of the matter. This is like I'm summarizing this. All has been heard. You've read 12 chapters. I trust you have, but you will. Read 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. Here's the point. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God is a, is a God who will judge your acts. The acts that you might think, the things that happens in your life and your responses to it that you might think is pointless and meaningless. If God looks at them and one day you will give an account for them, then even those small things really matter. How you respond to every curveball that life throws at you, one day will be assessed. That's what gives life purpose. You know, um, we, we have like a family movie tradition on Friday nights. And it's, it's, it's great when you find one uh, that works. And a, a recent one we watched is called Parental Guidance. It's a bit of an older one. It's about grandparents that looks after their sort of modern grandchildren. Okay, so they're old school and they look after their grandchildren. Parents are sort of more new school philosophy, if you can put it that way. And it was so funny because there was one scene where um, 
this grandfather's son is playing a baseball game, right? His young son. And uh, the grandson is pitching. And he's actually pitching at the bully in the school, the guy who is bullying, bullying him. So there's injustice already that's happening. And the grandfather is very excited because actually here's a moment where the tables can turn. Because actually his grandson's a pretty good pitcher. And so he pitches, strike one. And he pitches again, strike two. And the grandfather is super pumped. He's like, no way, my grandson is getting the bully back. And strike three, and the grandfather is so happy. He's like, yeah, you're out. Strike three, go out. And, he's, and, then, and then he gets ready for the next picks. And he, and he gets up and he's confronting the coach. He's like, what's going on here? It's three strikes. You're normally out uh, when that happens. And you know, the coach is pretty embarrassed. He, he walks up to the line and says, sorry, sir. Actually, they, there are no outs in this game. You actually... Just hit until you get onto base. He's like, what? Well, how, how do you then know who is winning? And he's like, well, I'm so sorry. Actually, we don't keep score. Actually, the game always ends up in a tie. <laughs> and he's, just, he's like, what? And he's really objecting to this. And as he's doing that, all the parents in the, in the, in the bleachers, they start going, yeah, this sucks. This is the most boring game I've ever seen. They, they understand unless there is a scorecard, unless there is judgment, the game is pretty much pointless. And this is what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, that life is not pointless. Your decisions and what, how you live, one day the Lord will look at those. He will weigh it up. Judgment is a reality. Without God, absolutely, what I do and what I say does not matter. But with God, in the picture, absolutely. And you know what's so amazing? I want to end with this before we take communion together. Is that we know something that the author of Ecclesiastes does not know. About the beauty of life. Is that God himself became flesh. And chose to enter into this life that this, this author you know, is very pessimistic about it. It's like, well, what's the point of life? Well, if God himself chose to become flesh, to live our life, and to experience, you know, all of the, all what life often has to offer, the injustices, the pain, not just the joys and the glory, then life means something. Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, who became flesh, doesn't it give you dignity as a human being? Doesn't it make you think, yes, he became like me. In other words, this life that I find myself in is not pointless. <coughs> he even suffered. And so my suffering cannot be meaningless as a result. We know something that the author does not know. I'm so thankful for that. And I want to, us to end off and celebrate that reality around the communion table. I talked about Ecclesiastes encouraging us to enjoy the moment. And communion, the Lord's Supper, is, is the meal in the moment that God has given us. Because we long for a kingdom one day when there will be substance and it's not vapor and smoke. That actually there will be genuine happiness, genuine satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction. We long for that. That's the kingdom of a God coming. And Jesus inaugurated that through his resurrection and his ascension. And he's promised that he will come again. And so we don't, we look to that, but we don't miss the moment. That's why he said, I want you to have this meal. This is, the, this is us tasting and, 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 and knowing the goodness of the Lord and His gifts right now. It's examining this moment. This meal is meant for us to stop and to think about our relationships with one another. The Bible discourages us from taking communion when you have an offense. When you have offended someone. When someone's offended you, 
go make right. When you've offended someone, go and make right before you eat. Why? Because God wants you to enjoy the moment. He doesn't want you to miss out on the goodness of relationship and unity with one another. And so he's given us this meal to enjoy right now. And as we eat this, the Bible says we proclaim his death until he returns. We proclaim what he has done for us until he comes back and sets all things straight. But he's given us this meal to celebrate. And you know, we... Today is Pentecost Sunday. If you follow the church calendar, that's actually what today is, is, is being celebrated across the world, the, the, the global church. Where God poured out His Spirit on His people so they could live in the moment. So that in any moment, they can have the presence of God. You know, the tongues of fire settled on the disciples. Each disciple, it's a profound thing because, you know, fire came down on the temple. That was at one location. You had to go there to experience the presence of God. You know, the, the fire in the burning bush, Moses had to go there. But then when the Spirit of God was poured out, it was fire on every single human being. So you can take the presence of God in whatever moment you find yourself, in the highs and in the lows of life. And that moment will not be meaningless because Jesus is there with you by His Spirit. That's, that's my Spirit signal, okay? By His Spirit. And it came to us as a result of the cross. Because that paid for your sins so that the Holy God can live inside you. So that you can have the Holy Spirit. So man, this meal is a meal that we celebrate. Lord, you died for my sins so that I'm a sinner, can come to you forgiven and have you in me. So I can take you with me wherever I go. So let's take the minute together and celebrate that reality as we close off Ecclesiastes today. Okay, why don't you stand? Uh, the way that we normally do this is, uh, is you just grab a cup and grab a bread. And because I refer to this reality of relationships and unity with one another, break bread with each other if you can. And if you need to make right with someone, do that before you take communion. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would discourage you from taking communion because it would really be meaningless to you. Unless you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Unless you, you, you heard the gospel today that He came and He lived a human life. A perfect one because you can't live one perfect. And then he died for your imperfections on that cross. And then he was raised to life to show that that debt is paid in full. And as he ascended into heaven, he promised the disciples to send the Holy Spirit. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you accept what he did for you, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And so if you're not a Christian, you're welcome to take communion as your first act of faith. We're saying, yes, I trust in that message. I trust in Jesus. If not, Hang out there, otherwise it's vanity, it's meaningless, it's vapor. But to Christians, it's substance. So you get that in your hands and you break bread like no man's business. Okay, Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Lord, we are, we are done, we are taking communion and then we'll probably have some coffee. So would you just be in this moment Lord, profoundly? Lord, let us not rush it. Let us make much of you, Jesus, in this moment around this meal that you've given us to remember what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name.